there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! If you're new to us, we are in, in this series. It's been kind of a marathon of a series, uh, and we're going to continue it today. Uh, for, for two months, we've talked about the war within, this war we've been having uh, between the Spirit of God and our flesh. And a couple of weeks ago, we made, made the transition, uh, and we're talking about the, the war that we have outside of ourselves, the war that we have uh, with the devil uh, and all of his uh, minions. And, and so we've been just scratching the surface as, as we've been getting into the armor of God, uh, the equipment, if you would, that we need to fight against the devil and his schemes, these, these virtues that we need to fight against the devil. And so as way of introduction, um, I was reading uh, about a story of a guy who went to Great Britain in the late 1800s. Uh, he went there to, to tour and to vacation, and uh, he was actually in the countryside of Great Britain uh, in this small little village, and he noticed that all the chickens in the village had little red ribbons fastened to their, their backs between their wings, and he was, that was a head-scratcher for him. He thought to himself, why in the world do all these chickens have red ribbons around them? So he asked, hey, why are all these chickens tied up with red ribbons? And they explained to him that these red ribbons protect the chickens from many vicious hawks that would otherwise attack them. The hawks are afraid of the red ribbons. Now, blue ones don't work. Green ones don't work. Any other colors don't work. Only red ribbons work um, and to provide the needed immunity for the attack of the hawks. You know, it's long been said that we are eternally tied by the red ribbon of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, that we are clothed in his righteousness and not our own, uh, not by works. We know that we're not righteous by the works that we do, not by being a good person, not by spiritual, spiritual heritage. You know, it's long been said around here that God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. And so we don't inherit our faith from our parents or our grandparents. It's an individual thing. <clears throat> We are clothed with righteousness. We are saved only and exclusively and precisely through the redemptive work of the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. We're saved by his blood, but we still have to battle. I don't think it would come, new, come as news to you that no matter how far you are in your faith walk with Jesus Christ, the devil's going to attack you. He's going to constantly attack you. For some of you, it's a weekly attack. For others, it's a daily attack. For somebody in here, it might be an hourly attack. Just over and over again, he is going to come at you. Uh, allow me to back up and use an illustration we used to kind of open this series up weeks ago. Um, 246 years ago, on July 4th, 1776, a group of people got together and declared their independence. And they signed what we know as the what? Declaration of Independence. We celebrate it every year, don't we? July 4th, the fire, the shorts come on, the pools open up, the fireworks uh, are displayed, the flags come out, and we celebrate the freedom we have as a nation. July 4th, 1776. 
And the point we made was, when did the Revolutionary War end? September 3rd, 1883, some seven years after the Declaration of Freedom. So they declared themselves free, but they still had to fight the battle. Listen, we, we have gone over this ad nauseum. You are free in Jesus Christ. Your sins are paid for. They are covered. Paul said there is therefore now no condemnation to those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Your sins are paid for. You are saved, but you still got to fight this battle. And it is a daily battle. We're free by the blood of Christ, but the devil's still going to attack. He's still going to accuse. He's still going to scheme, steal, lie, kill, and destroy everything uh, that you hold dear. And so, in the text that we've been in for the last few weeks, Ephesians 6, Paul says, listen, we've got to go to battle, so you've got to armor up. You've got to put on the correct armor to defend yourselves against the flaming arrows, against the flaming missiles that the devil is constantly throwing at your heart. Um, if you were to go home today and you were to turn on the news, it doesn't matter which station you turned on, chances are what you're going to see is the war coverage uh, between Russia and Ukraine, where Russia has been trying to invade Ukraine, uh, and, and you're going to see interviews and people who are sitting in, in basements and bomb shelters, and they're going to show you pictures of, of these missiles that are just being thrown at them day and night, all through the night. Uh, uh, the soldiers, civilians, they're just missiles coming everywhere. In a very spiritual sense, that's what the devil does to us. He is relentless trying to attack us. And so Paul says, listen, we've got to armor up. We've got to be ready for this battle. Just uh, by way of uh, remembering last week, uh, here's what we said. Where was Paul when he wrote the book of Ephesians? He, he was in jail. He was in prison. And not only was he in prison, but he had a, a Praetorian Roman elite soldier that was responsible to be with him at all times. And so in Ephesians 6, the kind of the picture we painted as Paul is closing this letter out and encouraging the church in Ephesus to fight this battle, you can kind of envision him looking at this soldier and going through his armor and making uh, these analogies. And so we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We only got through a half a verse last week, so we'll get through the other half this week. Ephesians 6, 14. Here's what Paul said. You remember this from last week. He says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And just by way of review, here's what we said. None of this matters if we don't stand in the truth of God. Like if, we're, if we don't encircle ourselves under God's truth, in God's truth, then this other armor doesn't matter. Like why are we here if there is no truth in the Lord? And so all of this centers around standing in God's truth. Well, here's the next piece of armor that he mentions in verse 14. He says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to show you a picture just to, just to illustrate the breastplate of righteousness. A, a typical armed Roman soldier wore this breastplate, and it was made of either bronze or chain mail. It covered the vital organs, namely the heart. When you study Greco-Roman 
uh, history, the heart was considered the most vital organ. It was considered to be the center of, a, of what a person or who a person was. And so the purpose for the breastplate was to protect the heart. When Paul compares the armor of God with this military gear, each piece represents part of God's strength that he extends to us when we become his children. Remember what verse 10 said way back like three weeks ago? He's finally be strong in the Lord and in the, in the strength of his might. So all these pieces of armor are an extension of God's strength that we put on ourselves to fight the devil. And the breastplate of righteousness, which we'll talk about a little bit today, refers to the righteousness purchased for us by Jesus at the cross. So I want you to think about this. Upon your salvation, when you gave your life to the Lord, when the blood of Jesus cleansed you from your sins and the Holy Spirit rushed into your heart, at salvation, a breastplate, an armored breastplate was issued to each repentant sinner. And it's specifically designed by God to protect our hearts from evil and from deception. The devil is always scheming, man. He, he's scheming to deceive us and to use evil against our hearts. And so with, with that in mind, uh, I've got just two uh, teaching points today in relation to the breastplate. And again, let me remind you again before we get into this, the breastplate was designed to protect your heart. All right, and so with that in mind, we're going to talk about, well, how do we protect our heart from these lies and these accusations that the devil, uh, you're no good, God's never going to love you, you're never going to be forgiven if people knew what you did around here, right? How do we protect ourselves? Well, we protect our hearts with the breastplate of righteousness. So let me give you two quick teaching points. Number one is this, and, you, and some of you who are type A, need to hear this. Some of you who feel like you've got it all together and, and you're better than the rest of us and your walk with the Lord, you, you, you need to hear this. Here's point number one. Your righteousness will not protect your heart. L let me say that again because I want to be crystal clear. Your righteousness will not protect, will not shield your heart. The breastplate of righteousness is not referring to our own righteous acts our own good deeds, our own good behavior. Like, hey, I helped an old lady across the street today. I'm good for today. I'm all armored up. No, our righteousness, it, it, it doesn't protect our heart. Here's why. Because we're all unrighteous. We are all flawed. We are all sinners. We are all jacked up. Man, we, we are torn. When Paul instructs us to put on this plate to protect our hearts, he's not referring to our own good deeds. Our righteousness is worthless. It cannot protect our hearts. The prophet Isaiah vividly reminds us of this in Isaiah 64, 6. Listen to what he says. Very familiar passage of scripture to some of you. He says, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Now, those of you who use different translations, you're going to read our righteousness is like filthy, like filthy rags. So imagine we were 
we were under attack here in America. And, and for whatever reason, we didn't have any guns. And we were like in the Greco-Roman world where you had to use sword, spirits, and arrows. And so news got out that we were under attack. Uh, and, and somebody, the president or whoever, got on the news and said, listen, armor up. Get ready because there's an enemy coming with swords and spears. You need to put your armor on. Okay, and so you have this armor, but rather than strap on this breastplate of righteousness, you go to your kitchen sink and you get that dirty rag. You know the one I'm talking about, like the rag that has been in the sink for weeks maybe and it's starting to smell. And you think, well, I need to really wash this rag, but let me do the dishes one more time. All right, that, 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 that rancid, putrid rag. You go get that rag. You, you go to the bathroom and get all your dirty washcloths. You go to the garage and you get all your oil rags, okay, and then you sew them together and make a, a shirt and you put it on to cover your heart and you say, all right, I'm ready to go to war. I've got my breastplate of righteousness. I'm ready. What's going to happen the first time an arrow is flung at your heart? You're going to die, right? It's, those rags are not going to do anything uh, to, to, to help um, your heart, now, here's what's interesting, and, and I don't mean to be graphic. I just want to preach truth to you. Uh, when you get into the Hebrew language, when you study this passage of the, uh, Isaiah 64, 6, the, the, the term for polluted garments or, or filthy rags, it's a very strong Hebrew word. Uh, the word for polluted garments is from the Hebrew word idia, which literally means the bodily fluids from a woman's menstrual cycle. They didn't have, you know, those types of products back then. They used rags. And Isaiah is saying, listen, when you try to cover yourself, when you try to defend yourself with your own righteousness, it's like putting on those filthy rags. That's what our righteousness is. Our righteous acts are, are dirty and soiled by sin and death. It's not sufficient to protect our hearts. Now, here's why I know this. And I know this by you honestly answering this question to yourself. And the question is this. Who has let you down in your life the most? Who has let you down the most in your life? If you're honest with your answer, the answer is going to be you have. Nobody has let you down more than you. Nobody has broken promises uh, more than you. Nobody has shattered your heart to pieces more than you. We do it to ourselves over and over and over again, right? So we say things like, all right, I'm not going to behave like this anymore. I'm finally, I finally get it. I'm going to do right. And I make a promise to myself. And then the very next day, what happens? You're out misbehaving, aren't you? broken promises. Or we say, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm, I'm not going to pick this bottle up anymore. It has ruined my life. I'm making this promise to myself. And the next day you pick up the bottle. Or we say, you know, I'm not going to date her anymore. Like this is a dysfunctional relationship. I'm miserable. I, I, I'm not going to fall back into this trap. And the next day you're right back in that dysfunctional relationship. I'm not, I'm not you say, I'm not going to act like this anymore. And then we act exactly the opposite way that we promised ourselves and we let ourselves down over and over and over again, right? So our walk in this life is really paved with shattered promises that we've broken to ourselves over and over again because our righteousness is flawed. It is insufficient. 
our righteous acts are not an armor that protects. It's a bunch of dirty rags that pollute. You don't have to look very far in the biblical narrative to, to, to see this play out. You can find it in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 records for us the, the, the story of the fall of mankind. So, with, it, ladies, when, when, when you're struggling to give birth and it's very painful, or, or when we're out and we're trying to grow things and we're sweating and we're getting stung by bees and, and you know, we're getting thorns and thistles out of the way, and oh, by the way, when, when you realize that you are going to die, all of that is a result of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. And so, you, you know the story. Many of you know it well. Just I'll give you the cliff notes. Adam and Eve are uh, in the Garden of Eden. They're in this beautiful, rhythmic uh, relationship with God. And God says, listen, you've got free range here. You're in paradise. Here's the only thing I don't want you to do. You see that tree over there? Don't touch it. Don't, don't, don't eat of that tree. Now, let me just push the pause button because I, I know a lot of people get frustrated with God. And they say, why did he put that tree in there? Like, it seems like this is an entrapment. Like God is setting, the, like telling a kid, here's a jar of cookies, don't touch the cookies, right? Uh, but, but listen, God did that because love's not love unless there's a choice involved. And if there wasn't a choice to love God, you just, he just created you and, 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 and made you obey and you weren't tempted, that, that wouldn't be love. And so God says, listen, don't eat of this tree. Well, we know what happens, right? Um, they're... They're tempted by the devil, by the serpent. They ate of the tree. Immediately their eyes were open. And then they heard God walking in the garden. Think about what a cool relationship Adam and Eve had with God. Like in the evening, God would come to them and walk with them and talk to them. Okay, but only this time they hear God and what do they do? Man, they jump in the blackberry bushes. They are hiding, right? Or in the fig bushes, I mean. They are hiding. Because they're ashamed. And they take these leaves and they start to cover themselves up. We see it in Genesis 3, 7. It says this. Then the eyes, this is Adam, of Adam and Eve, both were opened and they knew they were naked. They knew they were exposed. They knew they were vulnerable. They, 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 they were ashamed. They knew something was wrong. Um, you know, one of the things I used to love uh, when, when our kids were really little, and those of you who are parents, you, you probably experienced this. When your kids are you know, two, three years old, you give them a bath, right? And then you, you get them out of the tub and you dry them off. And a lot of times, what they do? They just go running through the house buck naked, right? Woo! Yeah, right? But there comes a point at a certain age where they don't do that anymore, right? I got a house full of teenagers. Ain't nobody getting out of the shower running around the house buck naked anymore. Well, except me, um, but I'm just joking. But, right, they don't do that anymore because, you know, there's a little bit of shame. Or, you know, you're kind of covering yourselves up. You, you, you don't want to be seen. This is what's going on right here with Adam and Eve. So they knew they were naked. Their eyes were open. And look what they did next. They sewed together fig leaves and made themselves loincloths. So they were covering themselves up. They knew that they had blown it. They were naked. Now, there's a lot of speculation that before this, that Adam and Eve were clothed in light. And when they sinned, that light left. And they saw, and they began to cover themselves up with fig leaves. I don't really know. That's just it's a little bit of conjecture. But here's what I do know. This is a picture of us. 
and our righteous acts. We feel like we can cover up our own flaws, do it our own way. We've got our own fig leaves where we're trying to, to cover ourselves up and hide ourselves from people. But we can't. So in Genesis 3, in the story, God comes walking. They find out they're naked. They make these little fig leaf loincloths. And God says, hey, who told you you were naked? Now, God knew, right, because God knows everything. Who told you you were naked? And I love this. This is a typical man. Adam answers first, right? And Anna, well, you know what he says? Look it up in Genesis 3. It's her fault. She gave me this food, and I don't know, I just ate it. And, and you know, everything was great in the garden until you brought her here. <laughs> I, was, I was, you know, doing my thing, and, and then she brought me this fruit. I knew I wasn't supposed to eat that. No, when you look at Scripture, Adam was right there with her. So he blames Eve, and then what does Eve turn around and do? She blames the devil. You know, this serpent told me if I ate this fruit, I would know these things. And, and so you had this blame game going on. All right, and so what happens is, that's when the curse happens. That's when God says, hey, because you did these things, here's what's going to happen. Um, you, you know, greatly will I increase your pains during childbirth. Adam, you're going to work and you're going to have sweat and thorns and thistles. And oh, by the way, you're going to die. And I'm going to remove you from the garden. Okay, now, here's, here's some, something beautiful. Right before or he removes them from the garden, God does something that we often miss. God makes them new coverings. Look down in verse 21. So they had these little fig leaves, right? these little loincloths. But in Genesis 3, 21, And the Lord made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now, there are two interpretations of what this means. I'm going to give you both. Um, one I don't really agree with, the other I do. So let me give you the one I don't really agree with first. There are some scholars that say, what that means is, is when, when he gave them garments of skin, that was the actual skin that God put on, on human beings. That before this, they were, like, because we're, we're created in the image of God, and we're, we don't, God, I'm not, I'm convinced, probably doesn't have ten fingers and ten toes. It's our spirit that's created in the image of God, right? That's the image. And so some scholars say, so they were in this spirit form, and then their eyes were open. They realized they, they, they did wrong. And so their spirit was corrupted. And so God put corrupted flesh on them. And that was the garments of skin that he gave to Adam and Eve. Um, you have to go outside of the Bible to prove that. And I, I don't think that's very good to do that. And so I adhere to the second view. And the second view is this. These are garments of animal skins. Animal skins. Now, let me ask you something. In order to wear an animal skin, what has to happen? Something's got to die, right? The animal's got to die. You can't be skinned and live. Okay, and so a lot of scholars, my, I'm not a scholar, but a preacher, myself included, uh, believe that this is the first animal sacrifice, the first recorded sacrifice in the Bible. Something innocent had to die to cover up man's sins. These are animal skins, and, and these skins are a beautiful picture, if you will, a beautiful foreshadow of what Jesus did for us. So think about it. These animal skins were a gift 
from God saying, listen, you're, you're not going to be in the Garden of Eden anymore where, the, where, where it's always a perfect 75 degrees and, and it's beautiful. You're going to be out in the elements and those fig leaves are not going to last. You need sufficient covering, right? And so these skins were a gift from God to cover themselves. Friends, that's exactly what Jesus is for us. He is a gift from God given to us so we can properly clothe ourselves. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave. There's a gift. He gave his only son that we shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And we've already said these skins, in order for these skins to come about, the animals had to die. Here's what's interesting. You know, I don't know what they were. I believe they were probably sheepskin, to be honest with you, but I don't know that. But these animals didn't do anything wrong, did they? They weren't the ones that ate of the tree they weren't supposed to. They were just innocent animals. But an innocent animal had to shed their blood to cover properly Adam and Eve. Jesus didn't partake of sin, but he shed his innocent blood to clothe and cover us. That's what 1 Peter 1 says, without a lamb without blemish or spot given to us to save us. So this shows us a few things. Shows us man is sinner. Our righteousness is not sufficient to cover us. God has to provide a new righteousness, a new garment, and that's his son, Jesus Christ. And there had to be bloodshed. So point number one is this. Your righteousness will not protect your heart. This leads to the logical conclusion, point number two, which is this. Your heart, my heart, all of our hearts are protected by the righteousness of God. It is the grace of God that stems from his strength and the righteousness that saves us and protects our hearts. Titus 3.5 says this, He, being God, saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's the righteousness of God, or it's the righteous acts of God that regenerates our hearts and renews our spirits. I want you to hear me. That there is not enough good that you can do to clean yourself up and cover the price of your sin. It can't be done. You're going to continue to break your promise and in turn break your heart over and over and over again. We, we are not saved by our righteousness. Rather, we are saved by a righteous and a merciful God. So when Paul tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness, he's telling us to put on God's righteousness. So let me remind you, we asked you this last week, whose armor is this? God's armor. Put on the armor of God. It's his armor. It's his truth. It's his peace, it's his faith, and it's his righteousness. It's only the righteousness of God that can protect our hearts. Because, as Scripture says, he is the righteous one. And because he is righteous, because he pays the bill of sin, we can dwell under his banner, in his name, as his children. I love what the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 23, 6. He says, in his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. 
And this is the name by which he is called. This is the name by which God is called. The Lord is our righteousness. I love that. The Bible speaks all about the righteousness of God. So I'll let you in on a little secret. Uh, my sermon notes are due uh, by Thursday evening uh, before our worship team. I'm supposed to get all my notes in, uh, but you know, a lot of times the Holy Spirit's not done talking to me Thursday evening. So I have a bunch of added text that, that's not going to come up on the screen. Uh, so I will, I'm old, I'm 51, so I'll encourage you to do what we used to do in the old days. We would open our Bibles and just, you hear pages flipping, so, or get on your phone. But I'm going to rattle these off quick. And what I want you to see uh, is th just this overarching theme of the righteousness of God is what saves us. The righteousness of God is what protects us. It's nothing that we do. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he made him to, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love what, the, what Job says in Job 29, 14 when he's talking about the righteousness of God. Here's what he says. He says, I put on righteousness. It clothes me. My justice is like a robe and like a turban. Philippians 3, 9 says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Philippians 1, 11, Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. You see, so, so the way to protect our hearts from the lies and the accusations and the flaming arrows of the devil is to put on the breastplate, to put on the righteousness of God. When we're saved, we are, when we put on, when we're saved and we get this breastplate, we are literally wearing Christ. Just think about that for a minute. We're literally wearing Christ. Um, one of the things that's fascinating me as I get older is um, I'm watching styles kind of uh, do their cycle. And, and, a, and a, big, a, bi a big style that's kind of making a comeback with, um, with our younger crowd is like the 90s grunge look. It's starting to come back. And I'm like, ah, I used to wear that in college. And it's just so weird because it went out of style for a while, right? Um, and, but now it, it's coming back. Listen, I just want you to understand, when you put on Jesus... It never goes out of style. You don't ever have to change. You don't ever have to worry about what you're wearing. We literally put on Christ. Now, I know the devil wears Prada, but you and I, we are to wear Jesus Christ. This is beautifully illustrated by an event that happens every year in the country of New Zealand. And I've shared this with you a time or two, so bear with me. But in the country of New Zealand, New Zealand is known um, for their sheep industry. And so every year during the yearly lambing season, you have thousands and thousands of lambs being born. But here's what happens. A lot of these lambs are born and they're dead, okay? And so you've got all these ma mama sheep that don't, you know, their baby died. But then you also have a lot of lambs whose moms die by giving birth. And so you've got these orphaned lambs, and then you've got these mothers that have, have lost, you know, their, their little lambs. All right. And so the, the idea is to take an orphan lamb and put it together with a mother sheep that just lost um, its, its sheep. 
Now that sounds good on paper, but it's incredibly hard to do. And so here's how they have to do it. This is as old as shepherding itself. They would take the, the dead lamb and they would skin it. And they would drape the skin over the dead lamb. And then they would take that lamb to the mother who, who, who lost that, that lamb, right? Because the mother won't accept it unless she smells her own scent, her own lamb. And so you drape the skin over, you present the lamb to the mom, it's, it smells it, begins to nurse it, and then it accepts that orphan lamb as its own. I love that illustration because lambing season in New Zealand reminds us of what Jesus did for us on the cross. When John wrote in both uh, Revelation 7, 14 and, and Revelation 12, 11, that we are saved by the blood of the lamb, I think that's what he's talking about. We are wearing the scent of Christ. And so every day you put on the armor of God. You stand in the center of his truth and you protect your heart and your salvation by putting on the righteousness of Christ. In a very real sense, every day you get dressed twice. Every day you get up, you drink your coffee, you take your shower, and you put your clothes on. But every day when you wake up and you take your shower and you put your clothes on, we are also to put on the armor of God. We are also to put on Christ, to clothe ourselves with him. Romans 13, 14 says this, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.